Blog Talk Radio. Come on. Welcome to Beach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Beach State Pandemonium. Good evening, and welcome to Beach State Pandemonium for Thursday, June 8, 2017. This is Michael Norris, along with Bobby Simmons and Jerry Oates, our... uh, Partner in crime, Jay West, is still not uh, feeling quite up to snuff, so uh, he will not uh, be with us uh, this week. He said he may try and call in, but uh, I really don't look for him to, to try and do that. He's uh, still still battling uh, getting over this last procedure he had. So, uh, anyway, you guys continue to keep uh, Jay West in your thoughts and prayers, and we will do certainly do the same. But how are you guys doing this evening? No, I'm good, sir. Doing well, doing well. No complaints. I don't know about you down that way, uh, Jerry, but we've had, once now that the rain has finally gotten out of here, we've had some beautiful weather the last couple of days. I've got the Braves came on now, and they said it's the official temperature there at the ballpark is 73 degrees, which that's that's odd for the first week of June, but I'll take it. Especially since they played this afternoon. <laughs> Who's that? The Braves? The Braves, yeah. No, they're on. They just starting. Uh, they're in their first inning. This ain't a replay. I thought they played this afternoon. <clears throat> no, 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 no. This is this is. Did, oh, okay. Sure, the fourteen to one was last night. I thought they played this. That afternoon. was last night. Yeah. Oh, and okay. then they've got uh, they've got tonight, tomorrow night, and then they got a double header on Saturday. Oh, okay. Against the Mets, so that's a. And, uh, oh, I thought the, I thought oh. they played this afternoon. I missed it. No, it's on right now. Okay. It's just starting, so. Um. But the uh, I think the Bartolo Colon experiment may be very well over. As far as the Braves amazing, go, but it's amazing that he decided he was injured and put him on injured reserve. Yeah. Well, I told somebody the other day there tomorrow night. I think it's tomorrow night is uh, uh, Bartolo Cologne bobblehead night. Yeah, I think it is. So they didn't want to get rid of him until they got rid of all those bobbleheads. <laughs> so. you know, I was pulling for him because he is so close to setting some major league records, but uh, you know, more or less, we'll probably cut him loose. Somebody else will pick him up, and he'll come back and haunt us. Yeah. It's always the way it is with us. But, yeah, he's he's been throwing bad practice lately. He has not done well. The first couple of games he did okay, but just the last uh well he had in his last four games he's had one decent game. And he still didn't win it, but you know, the other the others that he's done, he's just been absolutely bombed. So but I but I hate to see it. I mean he's he's you know, a future Hall of Famer, and you just you hate to see him go out this way. But he's still we'll see. Yes, Ken. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, most of them can throw harder than I can put a, car, a ball in, in a car and drive it to home plate. Yeah, they did. <laughs> did either one of you guys happen to see that uh, the first game of the women's uh, NCAA finals? Or, you know, it's two out of three in girls softball Monday night. No. Yeah. 17 innings. They got me. They got me interested about the eleventh inning, and I sat here till one o'clock or whenever it went off, and watched those girls play. Just absolutely well, amazing. Not because it's the girls, but that, that that game is more interesting than professional baseball. It is to me too. Faster. It's faster. It's to me too. I, you know, you, you, I mean, I, I got. I'm, I've never really watched them, and I got into it. I mean, it, it's unbelievable. It's fast. Those girls. You know, those girls were throwing the ball. Both of them were throwing them in the low 70s, and they throw from 45 feet. And that ball is bigger than that baseball. I know. It'll I mean, do more stuff. <laughs> it, I mean, it's amazing. You know, in between pitches, they don't have to adjust themselves and all that crap. You know, they they get the signal and throw it. You know, it, yep. it's, it's, it's more, to me, it's, it's entertaining. It, it's just. Fast. Well, there was a, a girls' softball game on, and I think. Connor said it was Clemson on Sunday when we went to um, we went to eat after church. I took the kids out for lunch to um, Logan's Roadhouse over here in, in uh, McDonough, and there was a, a girls' softball game on. And I'm not sure who it was, but but you're right. Some of those girls and they, you know, they pitch underhand. I'd be just as worried about getting hit by that pitch as I would a fastball from Bob Gibson. Uh-huh. And that, that that girl left-handed pitcher from uh, Florida, my gosh. <laughs> Good grief. A talented, talented girls. Did you see the end of it, Jerry? No, I did not. The first baseman from Oklahoma. In the top of the seventeenth inning, that that left hander from Florida was throwing to her, threw one up there and she hit it. And when she hit it it landed about three hundred feet in them bleachers out there in the left field. I mean she just killed it. And that's what yeah. that's what beat them. I don't know how Watching it came ball out. Games I didn't... With, with my big brother there's fun, Jerry, because Bobby having been an umpire for so many years, he'll I think he watches the umpires more than he does. <laughs> does a game. Huh. <laughs> Bobby, did you ever do any soft pitch soft ball? That's all I all I ever I I did it for twenty three years. The first two years I did little league baseball and slow pitch softball. And 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 I was doing adults and kids and everybody. And after two years I gave up baseball because every parent in the world thought their kid was the next Willie Mays. Uh, and half them kids could half of them couldn't hit it with a guitar. And uh I gave that up, and then I decided I was going to give the adults up. In the last 21 years, all I'd called was youth softball. But back then, all we had was slow pitch. Fast pitch didn't come on until the last couple of years that I was uh, umpiring. I did a few of those games. But uh, that's uh, – I just I – had, I had been doing it so long, I just didn't – I didn't hang with it. I was getting ready to get out of it. And Now, my son, who lives in Columbus – he calls. Uh, he's still calling high school. But he calls high school baseball. Really? He he loves it. He loves it. 
I don't know how much longer that'll go on. Though he found out the other day he has a torn meniscus in his left knee. Hmm. He's he's waiting on an appointment with with the good folks over at Houston. Yeah, that that's no big deal. They go in and scope that out, and he'll be. That's what I told him. That's yeah. I mean, now they got that down like that's like just going to the dentist now. Yeah, he was. Uh, did you ever ever play sports besides the wrestling, Jerry? Did you ever? Play sports in high school of any kind. I just wrestled in high school. Uh, I played a lot of. Uh, I played football in junior high, and then I got, I got sick. I got a kidney infection, and I had to. I was bedridden for seven weeks, and that. I, I then I came back and and uh, made a, a Babe Ruth team, but I was so weak, and I was you know I couldn't. For a year, I couldn't. I couldn't run. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get hot. I, you know, for a year, and so I mean, I just that was into my baseball, which I loved it. But that was into that. So I, I wrestled in high school. So the only time I ever got sick on a ball field was umpiring a state tournament in Macon. Uh, over in, over in, I don't know if you know, ever was down by uh, where the minor league, the uh, Macon Braves used to play. I, I don't even know the name of that park there. Uh, but it's in Central City Park. I don't know the name of the stadium, but there's a softball complex there. I got sick there one Sunday afternoon, umpire, and that's the hottest place I've ever been in my life. Oh, and they said that all of that used to be an industrial park, and they just came in and dumped dirt on top of it and uh, made this park down there. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to Macon and ate, ate dinner at S&S Cafeteria there and rode over there just riding around looking to see if it was still there, and it was. It's just uh, brought back some horrible memories because there ain't nothing like getting sick on a ball field. You know, I didn't even know there was any S&S Cafeterias left. There's one left at Pierce Avenue right there at Riverside Drive and Pierce Avenue in Macon. Did not know that. I That's the only one I know. Well, there's one here left in Atlanta, but I wouldn't go over on that side of town to eat without a gun. I, I, I hear that. So I, we, uh, me and Randy and his wife and my friend uh, Scooter, we rode down there and ate ate dinner on a Saturday night at uh, that one in Macon. And speaking of a friend, and uh, I, I, again, I didn't know that they didn't want want anybody knowing about it. But since I've gone ahead and broke kayfabe on the on Facebook about it, how is Scrappy doing? Yeah, Scrappy, Scrappy is very, very protective and very private about his family, and uh, uh, he was he was very trustworthy with me to. To kind of you know, and and and, I, and I'm saying this with all love, and I'm not directing it to you, Mike, but. There was all sorts of misinformation on Facebook. I mean, it was so dead wrong and and out of left field. And you know, uh, I, I didn't respond to it because then people go, "Well, who is he? How does he know? Who's he think he is?" I just left it alone. But yeah, you know, I, I just I encourage people just because you hear something or know something doesn't give us the right or the God given, uh, you know permission to just throw it out to the world because there's so many nuts out there that just going to put misinformation in it. But anyway, Scrappy is fine. For those that, the, the, the story, if anybody does not know, 
his wife had to have an operation. It was just a, it was a, it was not, it was major enough, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't open heart surgery or anything. It was just something had to be done. And while she is in the operating room, Scrappy sitting in the waiting room, just worried about it, stressed himself out, and uh, had a heart attack sitting in the waiting room. And if you're going to have one, I guess that's a good place to have one. Um, they wheeled him right back. They did a heart catheterization and put a stent in. And uh, he, I went. Up, that happened on Monday. I went up Tuesday night and saw him, and he was he was doing very well. He was talking, joking. Me and Randy stayed with him about an hour. Uh, Ann was recovering nicely. Uh, they are both at home, and they are they're they're. they're they're doing well. They're just both sore, and I couldn't couldn't convince either one of them to go horseback riding with me. But uh, <laughs> they're both they're both uh, uh, doing well. Just just recovering, and uh, okay. that's yeah. that's the that's the whole story. But yeah, he did have a heart attack, and uh, uh, he did have some blockages in there. And he he goes back in a couple of weeks to see the heart doctor, and they may they may do some medication or. Uh, you know, some other, we don't know yet. He doesn't know, so. But that's that. They're both home. They're doing well. Good, good. And their son Jeff also celebrated a birthday this this week. Scrappy so celebrated birthday. birthday too. Is he? When's his birthday? His was the his was the fifth. Oh, okay. He was, was fifty nine. Well, that's Randy are the same age. Randy is Randy is from uh, Randy. Is, I can't remember what day Randy's is. There's a couple of months difference in them. They're real close, or a few days difference in them. I think and Jess also, was um, Jess was either Monday or Tuesday, so he's they're close in there too. And, uh, and uh, his son, Randy and Cheryl had an anniversary. Uh, uh, I believe it was Sunday or Monday as well too. So. Busy week, and, and I know it's been busy on you. Bobby and I lost a uh, a friend that was uh, a member of uh, church. Bobby used to pastor that I used to go to. He was our our. Well, I can't can't say he was a choir director because we didn't have a choir. He was, he was a our choir. chorister. <laughs> he was, he our was also chorister, a deacon. Yeah. 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 And, uh, well, I don't very, know. I don't know if y'all nice have heard or seen or not. Billy Starr posted uh, just a short time ago that Ron Starr died today. I hadn't heard that. Really? Uh, Billy Bill Bill Harris. That's Billy Starr. He posted that his friend uh, Ron Starr passed away this morning over in Alabama. Hmm. So I, I'll I have I, to I reach out I, to Rock Rims. Yeah, don't know any confirmation or anything. I just happened to see that. Hmm. I had not heard that. So, and normally, Rock Rims would be all over Facebook because he's got he's got a Facebook page for Ron, and I had not seen that. So, uh, I don't have it. I'm, I've got my phone in my hand. Yep, I don't well, remember. I'm, how. See, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it now. R.I.P. Former United States champion Ron Starr. Well, you know, I that I'm gonna quit asking people to do our our radio program. 
We don't have a very good betting average as far as having folks join us. And then, uh, you know, it's almost gotten as bad as uh, the whoever rode the mobile with, with Ronnie Garvin never, you know, was dead by the next next reunion. He didn't, he, he, had, didn't, he didn't sound too healthy when he was on our show. He was, no, he didn't. Uh, he wasn't. He's had he's had breathing problems for a few years now. Um, I don't know if it's COPD or, or or what it was, but he. Uh, uh, I just I hate to hear that. That's sad. But anyway. On a happier note, I, I don't know if you guys understood what what uh, my email as far as uh, what we were going to do um, as far as a, a subject, but you think about um, our business and how it how it was back in the territorial days. Everybody, you know, there was there was a certain type of character, for lack of a better term, that that was. Uh, prevalent in the business or several types I should say in the business and such as uh you know long haired uh, blonde haired uh, pretty boy types effeminate types uh the foreign heels the the ethnic baby faces like Bruno San Martino and Dominic Danucci and and all that and I just thought that would be interesting to talk about the one that really surprised me and and you guys can speak on this more so than me because you were you were here when you know both of you were still fans when they were here. But how well the Torres brothers got over in Georgia? I guess there was you know you wouldn't think of Georgia having a large Latin population, but I guess they were just over because of was it how they worked, how they looked? I mean. What you guys think about that? That's a good well, question. They got over with the ladies because of how they looked. I think. Yeah, and but, Ricky was like a movie star. Yeah, he did. He did. And, and uh, you know, Charlie Smith can probably, you know, he can probably address this more than we can because he was in, the, you know, he was there when all of the, when they first came in. But you know the office was very, very. Uh, you know, if a guy was dark complected or, uh, or, or um, even you know, slightly like a Latin American or a Latino person is, the office wouldn't use him because of the, the the South back in those days was still very much segregated, regardless of what anybody said. And uh, I, I think, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. Was was Louis booking? I mean, no, not Louis. Uh, was Leo booking when they came in here? I think so, Bobby. Yeah, yeah I just. Uh, I mean, I. I uh, you know, I don't. I've seems like I've even heard Charlie tell that that there was some question about about Enrique when he first came in here because they were worried because they were were you know. Latin, Spanish descent, and they were, they were uh, darker complected. But they just, it, it was. I mean, as a kid, I can remember it was phenomenal. I mean, people, people loved them. You think it was it was that program with the Vachons that really put them over the top? 
God, they had a great run with them. They had a great they had they had a great run with with Lars and Gene, the Andersons. They had a great run with uh, Dick Dunn and uh, Willie Garrett when they were here as the Red Raiders. I mean, they just uh, uh, and they did things too. I mean, I they were the first ones. They were the first tag team I remember that did the. like when they would do it, when they'd, they'd have a big comeback, a big four way. They were the first guys I remember doing the doing the rowboat thing. They were the first guys I remember doing the, uh, and I don't even I, I call it a catapult. I don't know what you'd call it, where you you pick the guy's legs up and put your legs in his back and fall backwards and stand mm-hmm. him up. They would do that, and the other guy'd punch him as he come up. I mean. There was a lot of things they did that I had never seen, even as a fan, I had never seen before. And uh, uh, I do remember once you saw it, it was what you saw every time they had a tag match. But, uh, yeah, they were, it was, I I, I think a lot of it was, uh, uh, you know, their appeal toward the, the women liked it, like, like Jerry said, they just, and Ricky especially, and he was the oldest of the bunch. Yeah, uh, but he 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 was very debonair. I guess is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, he had a good body on. I, I, I I'm not for sure, but I think it was Leo. You know, Leo could have got Frank Hickey over. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not being ugly, but I mean. We had similar in in Mobile in the late '60s with. Raymond and Pepe Perez, and of course Pepe Perez was Roberto Soto, who was a very big star in Georgia, very popular in Georgia. But they're the same thing, similar to them. You know, they were both small, young guys. When when Roberto came to the Mobile Territory, the Louisiana part of the Mobile Territory in 66, 67, something like that, he was 16 years old. You know, Raymond was was maybe maybe a year or two older, but the two of them there again, they were both very nice looking guys and did stuff in the ring that nobody did. The, the drop kicks and the the flying head scissors and all that stuff. I mean, there were guys that that did that, but not to the degree that the two of them did. And they there again. They had great programs with Bill and Joe as the interns. They had great programs with uh, uh, Fargo and Frank Dalton as the as the Dalton brothers, and and just you know, I mean they were they were worked on top for near almost two years, which is unheard of, you know. But, yeah, Jerry's talking then, about this on the radio before about about Roberto, uh, very under very underrated. I thought. I mean, he he just oh never got God. the never got the you know the 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 accolades he should have got. But he was just he was just smooth as silk. He was. I mean, he could work circles around guys. He could work circles around. Them. And everything he did was just beautiful. I mean, it was just he was talent. And Jerry, you so worked with Raymond. What's that? Wasn't Roberto left-handed? Yes. 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 Yeah. 
he was something else. And putting him with Ramon Perez was was a was a stroke of genius because the two of them, I mean, they they didn't know each other until you know Lee put them together in Louisiana. And actually, uh, he he's Roberto was there first, and as as Pepe Perez, which was the name he started with with uh, Santos, and then uh, the. A week or two that he was with Goulas, they called him Young Anaya uh, because he did look similar to um, a guy from the 50s named Cyclone Anaya that was, was re- real popular all over the southeast. But then when he came into Louisiana, um, he was using Pepe Perez, and Ramon had been there prior as um, Ramon Lopez. So when he came back, they put them together as the Perez brothers, and like I said, they were they were something. But you work with Raymond. What, what, I know he was billed for as around two fifteen, two ten, but but he probably weighed what one hundred seventy five pounds, Jerry, if that. Uh, yeah, about, you're about right. That 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 was one working son of a gun. He was quick as lightning, I tell you that. And was he ever bigger than that? I don't think so. No, I, all the pictures I've seen of me always look the same. But uh, he could, it's just a shame he wasn't bigger. I mean, he could, he was he could work. And then going back to another archetype, you know, the the, the blondes, you know, Gorgeous George pretty much has the, uh, gets the credit for being the first, you know, blonde type. And, but there were two different types of, of blondes as far as that go. You had the, the, the effeminate kind like, like Gorgeous George, and then you had the, the, they were still blonde, pretty boys, but guys like Blassie and and Buddy Rogers were a total different as far as how they worked and everything. Um, there again, we were talking last week about Buddy Rogers and Fred Blassie was another one. How in the world he stayed so tan? Tar- Tarzan Tyler was another one in that in that that frame with the you know the big blonde type guy. Not that day. I don't know how they did it. And I would think in that that frame as to how that went on, Buddy Cole was another one that fell in line as far as the blonde heel, that was not you know didn't didn't do the pretty boy image at all. He was just you know, what a great heel he was. Can you imagine how far his how much further his career would have gone had he not been in that airplane crash? Yeah, especially down in Florida. Hmm. He he didn't do too bad here in Georgia either. No, he had a heck of a run here. He had a heck of a run. Who was his main runs against here? God, every baby face that came through here. It, it, him, of course, him and wrestling, too, had a run together. Uh, him and Tim Woods. Uh 
Columbus, <laughs> Armstrong, Dromo, um, I mean, I just anybody you know, they suck him with. Do what? Uh, like you said, everybody that come through here. Yeah, I mean, he's just you know he could work with anybody. He had a run with Rocky Johnson when Rocky was here. How long was Rocky here? Uh, year maybe, a little more. I know he was Georgia champion for a while. He had a long program with Abdullah too, didn't he? He had, he had a run with Abdullah, and uh, he uh, he had a run with Colt. Barquette Wright was managing Colt. Uh, uh, he. Uh, Rocky and Jerry Briscoe were Georgia Tag Team Champions for a while. Uh, they, uh, the uh, Nikolai Volkov, uh, if I got the right name, which is, which was the Mongol yeah. that became the Russian. Yeah. Nikolai, yeah, he was here Nikolai for a while. Volkov, he had a, you know, he they some uh, the he babyfaces worked with him. Was Rocky here when Pac Song was here? Pac, I, I can't. All these things run together with my in my head. I don't think he was here when Pac Song was here. But Pac Song came later, I guess. Pac, <clears throat> Pac Song was in when Rock Hunter was the main. Yeah, Rock was manager. <clears throat> manager here. That was another one that was. So different from from anybody else. Pack song was scary. I know that everybody. I, I was never around him, but I know people that that were talked about what a nice guy he was. But gee, he was scary. Not yeah, one so ounce of I, fat on him, and he was he was easy. What two seventy five or so? Oh yeah, weight wise, you know, big big guy. You know the thing. I huge, saw a lot of guys do a lot of test of strengths and do the. Yeah. Do the uh, you know different things, you know Tony Tony uh, Tony Atlas did the weightlifting thing on TV and uh, you know but Tony had some Tony had some York barbells that were gimmicked. They uh, they they look they look identical. They don't tell him what they cost, but they were they were they were the big weights. I guess they were I don't know what to, they, I guess it would have probably been a fifty pound weight or something. Forty five. They're forty five. Yeah, so, you know big big. Th- these things he had, they didn't weigh, they didn't weigh a pound, but they looked real. And he would, you know, he'd put them on there. Now he'd have put a good bit of weight on it, but he would put those on there too. So I mean, I've seen that. I've seen guys, you know, gimmick chains and do other things. But one of the scariest things I ever saw was Pack Song with a watermelon. He took a watermelon on TV in Atlanta, and he drove his fingers. Like a, he drove them straight down, not a fist, but his open hand. He drove that thing through that rind of that watermelon and pulled the heart of that watermelon out. I mean, his if you ever noticed his fingers, they were all bent up and broke up and twisted and gnarled. But that watermelon was not gimmicked. He shot his fingers through it. Now, if you think that ain't hard to do, next time you get a picnic, <laughs> try that. <laughs> 
Yeah, he used to do the uh, same thing Hodge did, too, with squeezing the apple. Yeah, I was going to say, Hodge with those apples wasn't gimmicked either. Mm. I'll give you a funny story. Nobody will think this is funny but Jerry Oates because he knew him. We was at Atlanta TV one Saturday, and Danny Hodge was there, and Charlie Harbin told my buddy Larry Nichols at a work that we put we worked together, he told Larry to run to the store and get get some apples for Danny to squeeze on TV. So Larry took Charlie's, remember that big El Dorado he drove, Jerry, that he bought from Uncle Big Burgundy? Oh, he had yeah. it for 100 years. Yeah. Convertible. Larry got in that thing and drove to the store. Well, Larry was so short he had to lift the seat up. And when he got back to the TV station, he just jumped out. He didn't lift the seat back. And he come in there, and when he come back in there, he had a sack of apples, and they was green as a gourd. Only ones he could find. I mean, they were green and hard, and 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 there was a question as to whether uh, Charlie, when he seen them, he said, "Man, he ain't gonna be able to squeeze them." Of course, Hodge went out on TV and made them look like applesauce, you know. But uh, the funny thing was, after it was over, Charlie went out there to get in the car, and the motor had burned up on that seat. And Charlie couldn't let the seat back. Like you talk about something back. funny. Charlie Harbin getting in that Cadillac with that steering wheel laying on his stomach and his head up against the roof. He and cussing, and cussing the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> he he was so funny. He was so funny. He was so funny. The funniest story he ever told me was he said he was in Hoganville, Georgia. And somebody didn't show up, and they put him under a mask. And he walked out the dressing room, and some little kid about 10 years old said, Charlie Harvin. Charlie said he looked at him and said, shut up, kid. You ain't supposed to know who I am. <laughs> oh. Yeah, Charlie, I always enjoy Charlie. Uh, Charlie was my give me my first job in the wrestling business. I love Charlie Harvin. <laughs> oh. oh, it was funny. I would love to have met his brother George. As I've, we've talked about. I've talked to him on the phone a thousand times, but I never met him. But uh, Charlie said yeah, George was his hero. I met him up in Charlotte. Did you? Yeah. When George. When George passed away, his funeral was on a Monday. And uh, Charlie, you know, of course, he promoted Augusta for, for the office here in Atlanta. And he'd always come out of the office and pick up his check and any other checks that, you know, they wanted taken down to the town or whatever. And uh, I was sitting there in the office, and I, I just assumed that he was had gone to Charlotte for George's memorial service. And uh, I'm sitting there at my desk, and... Uh, the door opened and Charlie came in and he sat down there at my desk and 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 uh, I, only time I ever saw Charlie cry he had big tears in his eyes and I asked him I said Charlie I said why aren't you in Charlotte I said I would have drove you up there and he looked at me and he went George was my hero he said and I could not ride that far to see him laying in a box he said I want to remember him the way he was and that stuck with me and when Charlie died. I was on the way to his funeral. I was going to meet Charlie Smith at his funeral. I was on the way down 42 Highway, uh, not too awful far from where I live. Uh, 
And on the way down there, I remembered what he told me. And I said, I'll not go down there and look at him laying in the box. And I turned around and went home. I just, I just couldn't do it. So uh, I'm not even, I'm sure he's buried somewhere not far from where I live. I just, I don't know where. But you know, that, that was a good thing about, about our era, you know, that, that guys, when they got through in the ring, they, they had a job, you know, yep. a lot of them, you know, that yep. was, that was a good thing about it. Yep. Yeah. I was going to ask you if Charlie went back to work for Barnett after all South shut down. Oh yeah, Charlie. Uh, Charlie. Charlie promoted Augusta. He was the promoter of record for Augusta. Uh, he went down there every every week, took care of the building, made the bank. We had a we opened up a bank account down there at our local bank, so him and the police would go make the deposit at the night depository. That way, you didn't have to bring that money back to Atlanta. Uh, and he also promoted Rome, and he also did Chattanooga. So he worked three days a week, most weeks. Plus, went to the TV station on Tuesdays for interviews. Every time I go to Chattanooga, Greg Brown would always go with me, and whether he was on the car or not, we'd go up there, and he'd always he'd be sitting by that back door, and he'd always tell me, "Come here, Oates, I got one for you." Always mm-hmm. had a joke. Yeah, always had a joke going. Yep. His wife still lives. Uh, I don't know about six seven miles from me. Uh, Charlie still talks to her periodically. Uh, <clears throat> I rode up there one day to see if I could find the house. And uh, when Charlie first moved down here to this part of the world, I don't know how many acres he bought. He had Buku acres because land down here was was dirt cheap. This was this was the country when he bought. And. Uh, I went up there and I was looking for the house and I wasn't sure. I couldn't remember exactly what it looked like, but I got ready. I went down. And I thought, well, I've gone too far. I'm going to turn around. So I, I turned in this subdivision to, to just turn around. And as I turned into the subdivision, you know how they'll have a big sign at the entrance of the subdivision to tell you what the name of it is. I looked up and much to my surprise, I had turned into Harbin Hills. Yeah. Really? She sold. She sold all that property, and they built a subdivision, and they named it after him. So, I, uh, I'm sure she, I'm sure she did well. Another one of those young blonde teams that came in here that did all right, and this was later on, but was uh, uh, Jerry Brown and uh, Buddy Roberts. Yeah, and most people, you know, associate Jerry Roberts with uh, the Freebirds, but he had a long run. Uh, he and Jerry Brown as the Hollywood Blondes. Yep. And uh, uh, had a lot of success, not only in the United States, but in Canada. And I think they made tours of Japan. I don't know if they ever went to Australia or not, but but um, but they worked on top in, in Los Angeles um, when Louis Tillette was out there booking out there. Uh, he brought them in out there. They had a long run in Oklahoma from McGurk. Uh, in fact, that's where they they first came together as the Hollywood Blondes, and they were they were kind of thrown together at the last minute. 
Um, I don't know if Jack Donovan ever told you this story, Bobby, but the original plan was um, Jack and Jerry Brown had been teaming out there in Oklahoma for McGurk, and uh, Jack's then-wife, Vern Bottoms, was their manager. And uh, they were going to be the Hollywood Blondes, and uh, that was about the time... The time when when Jack got stabbed during that match with Hodge. Yep. It was either then or he broke his leg or something. Something happened to him when he was he got injured. Um. But so he was that was not able to continue. So McGurk reached out to various people and Vern Gagne said, "Look, I got a guy from Vancouver." that's working underneath for me, he calls himself Buddy Smith. And uh, he said, I'll send him there. And uh, that was Dale Hay, who came in as pretty boy Dale Roberts. Uh, And then he picked up the Buddy part. They were trying to, to, I guess, do a playoff of Buddy Rogers. But... uh, so they they teamed in in Oklahoma and then went to uh, Toronto and that's where they hooked up with uh, Red Sutton, otherwise known as uh, Sir Oliver Humperdinck, and the rest is history. Those three worked. Uh, Humperdinck wasn't with them when they worked for All South, was he? No, he was not here in Georgia at all that I remember. He worked. They worked for Ann. They were here for a few weeks or maybe two or three months. And then they left, and then they showed back up very shortly thereafter working for the NWA office. And then that's when they went to Florida with Hump and had the big run down there. Yeah, and then they were, they were in Charlotte. They were um, um, actually the last version of the, the Hollywood Blondes. Uh, Buddy had dropped out and was working for... Um, Fritz as Dale Valentine. He was out in, in Dallas with Johnny Valentine, who had been in the airplane crash and couldn't work anymore. But he was he was managing Buddy, and Buddy was using the name Dale Valentine out there. And uh, Buddy had a younger brother named Laurie Hay, who worked uh, all over under the name of uh, Sonny Rogers. And so he and and Jerry went uh, went to work for Goulas in Nashville, and that was the last. It's either Nashville or it may have been Memphis. I'm not sure which, but but in Tennessee, that was the last uh, last version of the that group of Hollywood Blondes. There were several teams that came along after that that used that name, but that was the the last of the original group. But. Uh, Sonny Rogers was a good worker too. He and he worked. I don't think he worked mainly worked underneath everywhere, but that run with Jerry Brown. But uh, but he was a good worker too and worked all over the place. But you'd have never known he and Buddy were brothers because they they were you know Sonny had uh, until he did the thing with the Hollywood Blondes. He just had dark. Curly hair and usually had a beard, but uh, was a good heel, you know, good mid-card underneath guy and, and, you know, could work with anybody. 
But yeah, I guess the, the blondes, them, I guess the, the first blonde heel team would have been probably the Graham brothers, Eddie and Jerry. And then uh, I, I can't really think of another blonde heel team that, that got over like that until the Valiants came along. They came through Georgia. How long were they here? Oh, not long. They were here in 76. I know that. Yeah. Yeah, when they first came in here, they didn't even have a car. They came in here, they'd ride the bus to the town, the Greyhound to the towns. Oh, really? I went, we went to, we were somewhere in middle, middle Georgia, down around Ashland or, uh, uh, down in that Cordell area, that corridor right through there, I, I can't remember exactly where we were, but me and Randy got there about, about 4 o'clock with the ring, and they were sitting outside the building when we got there. And they said they had rode the bus. And uh, that's how they got there. And then they'd, they'd catch a ride at night with somebody going back. Hmm. That always seemed like kind of an odd pairing, the two of those. Well, had Johnny been here before? Did he ever come in here as John L. Sullivan? Yeah, he was yeah, John yeah. L. Sullivan. Yeah. Because he was... Uh, I don't know if he was an actual protege of, of Bruno's like Zabisco was, but he was from Pittsburgh, and uh, he got his, his start with that that tri-states group out of Pittsburgh when Bruno was the owned it and was the promoter up there. Um, and he, like I said, he used the name John L. Sullivan. I think it was Bruiser that put he and Valiant together. Jimmy yeah, they Valiant started together. in Indiana. I mean, Indianapolis, I think. I'm... Lord, they had a great run in New York when they went back to New York. Had some great matches with uh, Tony Gurria and, and Dean Ho. Well, they had matches with Dean Ho in, here in Georgia, didn't they? Wasn't he in, the, in here in 76 as well? Him and Gurria came gone? in together as a team, yeah. I'm a, I, I don't mean to change the subject again. You got the ball game on, Michael. Yeah. I've, ne- I've never seen this before. The bat hanging in the net. Guy swung, let the bat go. It caught in the in the netting that you know behind home plate, and it's hanging there. And it looks like he's it's caught on the inside facing the audience. I don't know how. Well, it, it, it went, the 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 handle went through first. Oh, it still so it, went through there. I see. It, I see. It how caught. It is, yeah. It's just hanging there. You know. <laughs> yeah, if that that'll thing turns loose there. and you're not paying attention, that'll cram somebody. Brings brings up another little thing here, and this ain't got nothing to do with with, with blondes, but from a from a promotion standpoint, <clears throat> one of the things that you always find on a ticket at a baseball game or a football game, or at a parking deck where you park or any of that stuff, it will always have a waiver of liability on the back of the ticket. It'll say we're not responsible if you get hit with a 
with a thrown bat or a batted ball or, you know, any of that stuff. And and we were told by legal counsel, you cannot write away or sign away liability. That makes sense. You, you can't tell me if this bat falls out of this net and hits some kid in the head that that that, that they are not liable in a lawsuit. Yeah, I guess if it's something that's not a voluntary thing. I know, like, in the wrestling business, they would have guys, you know, work with Russell Marks from the crowd and stuff like that, or, or a typical thing like Timmy Cohagen doing his sleeper hold. Did, right. did guys have to sign waivers then? Never saw a guy sign a waiver. And it really? was always it was always some drunk that would get up there, oh, I'll do it. And and I'm gonna tell you, if if he put a drunk to sleep, that drunk was gonna wet his pants. <laughs> That's fact. I've seen it happen a hundred times, and you know, it just. But it was always that was always the one that would get in there. Oh, I'll do it. Yeah, the way they're 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 handling this, I don't think they ever planned on anything like this ever happening. No, I don't either. <laughs> and here's a guy climbs the net and gets it out. He's probably an usher or something. How, how's that new stadium working out up there? Well, I don't love it. Hitters love it because they, uh, evidently it's it's a, a batter's ballpark. They're drawing good crowds. Traffic I haven't heard is people complain like I thought they would. So I guess they figured out how to get them in and out of there decently. But uh, the people that I've talked to that have been to it, it says take out a small bank note before you go up there. Uh, don't you know? Don't the you food's know? Food's expensive, parking's expensive, uh, and plus be prepared to walk. Wait till they go to the Falcons. I talked to a guy the other day. He said they did a test on that new roof. I want to know about it. And he said they were moving it. They were they they closed it. And he said they were they were testing the the adjustments and the tensions and whatever. And he said they moved it. I think he told me two feet or, or a foot and a half every every couple hours because they were testing, I don't know, tensile strength or something at each point as it's closing. He said it took them 22 hours to close it. Well, I wouldn't want to sit under it. Well, he told me he is he works for a company that is installing the Matrix board, the one that's going to go all the way around the inner ring of it up at the top. And he said they were up there on a catwalk, and he said he was buckled off. And he said every time they would move that roof, he said that whole stadium would vibrate. He said they were all scared to death because he said he said they didn't think it ought to be vibrating like that just because the roof was moving. Well, they don't uh, have I to just, worry about me sitting in there. No, the, me neither. Me neither. Have they torn the dome down? No, sir. They ain't done anything to it. You're kidding. 
They they uh, well they're afraid to because they've run into so many issues with this new stadium. Uh, you know they they were supposed to already be playing soccer games in there, or starting sometime this month playing soccer games in there. They've already postponed them because they knew it wasn't going to be ready. So now I think they're they're, they're going to keep that dome as a safeguard, just in case. Um, this thing doesn't get finished or there's a problem with it. Can you imagine what that thing weighs? Oh. I just... and uh, That soccer team's another phenomenon that's got me puzzled. Well, not really, but I just... I would never yeah, have dreamed. They're the highest drawing uh, soccer team in the league right now. Georgia Tech's football stadium holds approximately uh, 55,000 people. That's ballpark. They've played five or six home games, and they have sold out all of them. Come on, man. Yes, sir. Yep. Every every one of them. I mean, this town has gone crazy over that soccer team. I can't watch something that long school one point. <laughs> I have a well, I have a godson. Uh, he was mine and Debbie's godson, and uh, he he's uh, he just graduated from high school. He was this year's. Uh, he went to Locust Grove High School. He was this year's Butts uh, uh, Henry County uh, Athlete of the Year for soccer. He has made numerous numerous awards. Got a, he's going to go to Reinhardt's college on, college on a free ride for soccer. He's he's wonderful soccer player. And matter of fact, last week he was on a team that went in and played a practice game against the Atlanta United, the professional team. And he's he's good at it, they say. But I've never been to one game because I'm like you. I do not want to go sit there for an hour and a half and watch them run up and down the field and score one goal. I mean, I know those guys are in shape and all that, but I just. Well, I wasn't raised watching it, you know. I just yeah, that's it. We didn't even play it, so I, I can't. It's a lot like hockey, you know. A fist fight's going to break out eventually. Exactly. Speaking of hockey, have you guys followed this Stanley Cup final, Eddie? No, uh, sir, I have not. No, I, I mean, I, I, not, not necessarily because of the hockey, but because Nashville is playing and, and has a team involved in it. I've been kind of. Just keeping up with it a little. They played two games in Pittsburgh, and Nashville lost both games. They came back to Nashville, and they won the two games there, and now they're in Pittsburgh again tonight. And uh, I just flipped over here, and it's 2 to nothing Pittsburgh in the first period. But the reason I said that was this. They had 150,000 people on Broadway in Nashville, Tennessee, standing outside the arena because they couldn't get in watching the game on big TVs. Well, you know who the first person was that brought professional hockey to uh, to Nashville, don't you? Ron Fuller. Ron Fuller, yep. Sure did. And since, uh, I've, somebody did a uh, newspaper interview with him now that he, because of all the, the interest in Nashville right now because of how well the Predators are doing. Somebody located him and did a, a, an interview with him. 
But uh, I guess he's got Buddy's golden touch. No matter what he does, he's going to make money at it. That's what Bill Bowman used to say about Buddy Fuller. No matter what he attempted to do, he was going to make money doing it. Hmm. Well, this this Nashville is going to absolutely gaga over this hockey team, just like uh, Atlanta's going hockey or go crazy over this soccer team. I don't know what's next. Professional frisbee, maybe. <laughs> I'm not. Just... Well, I, I remember how... when I was was growing up, Tampa used to have a. a pro soccer team, the, the Rowdies, but that's been 30 well, when years I was, ago. But when the, I was a teenager, we had a soccer team here, the Atlanta Chiefs. Till the Braves yeah, the won Chiefs. the World Series, the Chiefs were the only team that ever won a title in any league that was professional. I remember going one time and seeing Pele play. I'd heard about Pele my whole life, and they brought had that Brazilian team in here to play an exhibition. I did go watch that, but I don't know what I was expecting. I was expecting Superman or something. And he just run up and down the field like all the rest of them did. Well, having lived in Germany, they didn't have regular regular football. So if I wanted to watch a, we used to, that was, you know, you couldn't go through a neighborhood that you didn't see a hundred kids out playing foosball, as they called it. But uh, I never could. I I. Tried to play. My daughter played when she was was young. She she played a season with uh, a soccer team. But it's uh, yeah, you know, like Jerry said, you've got to be in shape because there's no there's no you know no rest periods. <laughs> no, they run, uh, You're moving the whole time. There's there's no downs or or you know huddles or anything like that. I mean, you are are constantly moving. But and the hardest thing for me was to. To not want to use my hand, you know, to get used to not using your hands. Unless you're the goalie, you can't use your hands. It has to be your your feet or your knees or your head. But probably if you if you look internationally, it's probably the the between that and rugby or the the highest drawing sports around and have been forever. Well, yes, sir. <laughs> I, another, and here again, I know we've gotten off the subject here. I took us down another path, but I don't understand how people afford to go to all this stuff all the time like they do now. I mean, concerts, this stuff has gotten so astronomically high. I mean, I used to love to go to basketball games. I cannot afford to go to basketball games anymore. Georgia I, I, Tech. I don't know how they do it. Georgia Tech's twenty-five bucks for a ticket to go see them play a college game now. And I mean, maybe that's not much to some people, but for an entertainment who, who dollar, who plays what? Do twenty-five what? bucks to see Georgia Tech play what for twenty-five? Basketball. Bucks? The last year, the last year I had season tickets for football. Georgia Tech tickets ran for if they were playing Wofford or uh, Jacksonville State, 
the tickets were 30 bucks. If they were playing an ACC team, they were 40 bucks or 50 bucks, depending on who it was. If they were playing Virginia Tech, it was higher than if they were playing Duke. And then if, when they played Georgia here, the tickets were 75, 80 bucks piece. They base their ticket prices on who the opponent is and, and how well they think they're going to draw. Well, you think they'd have just a set price, wouldn't you? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And no, then, I don't, and I don't, then I don't the Falcons, of course, Falcons are the same thing for every game. They're just, you know, they, they their price, each individual game is the same price, or it was. If you go see the Braves play and you don't have a ticket, just walk up. I mean, I, I know it depends where you sit. I'm not, but what's it going to run you about? They say they have some seats during the week. You can sit in the outfield for five bucks. Now you may you may need binoculars to see the players, but you know that that would get you in. I know when they were at Turner Field, they had a certain number of seats that were a dollar, but you could only buy them. They put them on sale when the box office opened. You if you wanted one of those dollar seats. But they were in the upper deck, down by the foul pole, on the top couple of three rows. I mean, they were way out there and way up there. I wouldn't go through that big a hassle just to get there and, and get in that mob. I mean, I just, I just, I mean, the way I, TVs are now, what do you want to do that? I don't know why you want to torture yourself. I really honestly thought when I gave up my Falcon tickets and my Georgia Tech tickets, I really thought I would go into the DTs. I really thought I'd go crazy. And, and honest to goodness, I have not missed it one second. No I regret. loved going. I enjoyed it. Wouldn't take nothing for the experience, but I'm just as happy as I can be sitting right here. No regrets. None. None. I, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I grew up not far from the wrestling office. I grew up there. Uh, matter of fact, I grew up two blocks from where the church I pastor is. And that's about a walking. It's about a mile, maybe just a little more from Atlanta Stadium. When we were kids, we were teenagers. I mean, early teens, you know, 13, 14, 15. If they were playing a day game, a bunch of us would get together sometimes, and we would walk to the Braves game. But back then, and of course I realize it's not 1970, 60-something anymore, uh, general admission was a dollar. I mean, you could go to a Braves game for a dollar. And, 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 you know, but, but part of the fun of going was there was a bunch of us together, and, and the walk up there, and it's sort of like a wrestling trip. You know, the most fun on a wrestling trip was in the car. Or sitting in the dressing room. Well, it was the same thing with us. Walking together, just talking, you know, with your friends, going to the game, and then and then walking home. I found, a, I was around here somewhere, I've seen it the other day. I've got a season ticket for the Atlanta Falcons, uh, an order form, from 1966, 67. First or second year they were here, season tickets were $48. Hmm. Season tickets. That was season tickets. Tickets were six dollars a piece uh, per game, and they played in sixty six, sixty seven. They played, they played uh, 
six regular season home games and uh, two preseason games. Six. Is that right? Yeah, total eight games, $6 a piece, $48. Yeah, that's it. You ought to fill that out and send it in, see what they say. I heard that. <laughs> I heard that. It had a little outline, a little a little uh, uh, profile shot of the uh, Atlanta Stadium, and it showed you the different levels and, you know, where the seats were and all that stuff. It was, it was, it was kind of funny, sad and funny, too. But, yeah, it's a... Uh, when the Hawks came here, when the Atlanta Hawks moved from St. Louis to Atlanta, the the Omni was was not even built yet. They played at at Alexander Memorial Coliseum, which was Georgia Tech's home basketball uh, venue. The first year they were here, me and my uncle bought season tickets. We paid two dollars a piece per game. They played forty home games. The season ticket to the Hawks was eighty dollars. So we paid 160 for two seats. Now that's a lot of basketball, but I can sit here and tell you I play. I watched Will Chamberlain play. I saw Jerry West play. I saw Elgin Baylor play. I saw a lot of folks play, but that was the only year we did that because they eventually they said, "Oh well, we sold these. We'll go up." So when they went up, we stayed home. I just that's that's another sport I just never have been able to follow. I guess if I sat and watched it, I probably could. But it, it's it's weird to me. It seems like they only play like twelve regular season games, and then they're in the playoffs for six months. Are you know about basketball? Yeah, they play eighty games during the regular season. It starts in it starts in September, or October, and. Regular season doesn't end till, till uh, sometime in April, and it, and it's it's uh, I mean they you know they play two or three times a week sometimes four, which I think that's too much. Just like baseball, baseball 162 games that's a lot of games. Uh, sometimes it doesn't seem enough to me. Well, I don't guess it's any different wrestling. I mean, we we worked, you know, six seven days a week, and, but we yeah. didn't have seasons. That was another. We never had a season. We just kept going. There were certain territories that 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 did have, you know, would shut down for two or three months, especially in the dead of winter. I think Vern did cut down. Did you? Were you ever in a territory, Jerry, that shut down early? You I never did go to North Bay, did you? Down. I worked some, but yeah. I thought we shut down. <laughs> <laughs> and Kelly told me when no. when when he worked in North Bay, they didn't work in the wintertime because everywhere that they, every building they ever worked in was a hockey rink. So once hockey season started up, they didn't have any venues. So they would just shut down. Of course, I would imagine travel in, in places like that, it's, you know, you're better off just to shut down. I know in Kansas City, uh, it drew better in the wintertime than it did the summer. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't know why. 
summertime. Boo. Maybe the Royals were doing so well that it was drawn away from them. Well, another thing I think about, too, and, and see, we were – people used to question why we started so late. We started at 8. Of course, they – you know, now they're smarter than we are. They start at 7 or 6 or whatever. We always started at 8.30. The only person that didn't start at 8.30 was Mr. Ward. He started at 8.15 in his shows. But the reason we started at 8.30 was we knew on spot shows in South Georgia, those farmers weren't coming out of those fields until it was dark or almost dark. So that's the reason we started at 8.30. And I don't know this to be a fact, Jerry, but something I realized when I, you know, in my my excursions by car across the country, I noticed out there in, in Kansas and Iowa and South Dakota, it don't get dark out there till 1030. There's no, there's no mountains to block the sun. So that sun, it stays daylight a long time out there. It and does. I bet that was a problem in the summer for you guys. Them farmers and people out there that, that work that agriculture, they didn't come out of them fields or quit working until it got dark. Oh, like up in Iowa and all that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Mid-summertime was brutal for us. I mean, I, I it, it amazed me our first night in South Dakota driving across the state. It amazed me how long it stayed daylight. I mean, even after the sun went down, just over the horizon, you could still see daylight. I mean, it was just it was incredible. And, and, you know, we got to look, and there's no trees, there's no mountains, there's no nothing to block it. And speaking of that, that area out there, I haven't heard any more updates on Harley Race. Isn't that horrible? Oh, jeez. Yeah. Did anybody ever hear how he fell? No, no I, I never no. did. I, I, I cannot imagine the pain he must be in, not from just this, but oh, yeah. everything. Yeah. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine. And it worries uh, me at his age, he's not going to heal quickly if he heals at all. And, I just, and you oh. know, the, <laughs> you, you look back at it and, and nobody cares. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying, I mean, all the stuff he did, all those bumps he took night after night, and nobody remembers them. And yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's yeah. kind of like, mm-hmm. it's like, God. I mean, it was just, and you suffer a long time from it, I'm telling you. Mm. Suffer a long time. Back to what Bobby was saying about, and something I've learned after everything I've gone through, you don't realize how much nutrition plays a part in how your body works. You know, I think of all the the, the times on the road that, you know, our meals were, you know, six-pack of beer and a bologna sandwich. Exactly. And, you know, and it's just... Uh, it's been amazing to me the difference 
you know, all the supplements and everything that I have to take now because my my body has gone through so much trauma, and uh, and I didn't eat right for probably 20 years. You know, especially when I was traveling with the circus, because it was the same thing. It was, you know, when the show was in town, it was, it was nine, ten o'clock at night before I was eating a meal, and I, I would eat and go to bed. You know, and that's the worst thing in the world now, or, or for your body. And, uh, but you learn a lot. But there again, back to what Bobby was talking about at his age, and depending on, you know. What he does as far as his his vitamins and nutrition and stuff like it's it's hard to heal. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, he's had so many back surgeries, and you know, what kind of rehab could he do? I mean, it's just, I mean, I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine. I just and there can't again, Harley's Harley's one of those guys that you think would would never. You know, because he was so tough, and he, you know, he came back from that car wreck that nearly nearly killed him when he was real young in the business. And he was one of those guys that you would think would just go forever, and he's it's catching up with him now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you just you just don't think it'll catch him, but I mean, it, it's a payday for all that stuff. Yeah, sure. Rub. But you worked with him several times. I mean, he was just, I mean, he was hard as a rock. You could pound on him, and and that's what he wanted you to do. And just, you know, and he took some crazy bumps. And Harley was no small guy. I did some hours with him, man, and it was like, you know, he, he was just, I mean, I was in Japan with him. I mean, just, he was... He was something else, man. He was, he he was a tough son of a gun. I mean, he, I mean, you, some nights he couldn't even make his back. He'd want me to adjust his back, and he couldn't hardly walk. When the bell rang, you wouldn't know what's wrong with him. I mean, he, he was something else. When he, you know, we we read and we talk about and we hear about all these guys, you know, with these concussions. How many how many times do you think he did that off the top rope thing where he land where he you know goes head first? I can't even imagine. And he'd have the guy move out of the way. I mean, and I just... You, you see, the beauty part of that is you got to stop. you got to stop. Yep. You know, you land. And I was I was, I was, was working out today, and they had a TV on when I was doing whatever I was doing. And there was a thing. It had a crawl, they, they had the volume down. It just had the crawlers on there. It was talking about how the uh, NFL's has uh, complied with the DEA about uh, painkillers and this and this and this. And I'm thinking, you know, those guys, they, they've they been playing since they were little boys, you know, peewee uh-huh. football, little league football. They played junior high. They played in high school. They, they, they played in college. And now they're up there with, to me, some of the greatest athletes there are. I mean, for their size, the speed, the strength, oh, yeah. and all that, all that combined. Can you imagine what those guys feel like on Monday morning? Oh, I mean, your shoulders, your neck, your your, your back, your, and 
any play, any given play, your career can be done. And so, you know, about the prescription drugs that the team doctors, I guess, are writing for them. What, what do you, you want me to go out there and do that, and I'm supposed to take an aspirin or Advil? You know, I mean, it, it, this is, I don't know. I, I don't know. Either one of you guys ever see the movie Concussion? Ever no, you know, I've never I never have seen it either, but I've heard, you know, it's it's pretty brutal as far as, you know, showing what those guys go through. Well, it can't be a joke. I know that. I mean, but, I mean, those guys are so fast and strong, man. You know, you can't appreciate it till you actually go see it in person. I mean, as close as you can get to see it. Yeah. It's like watching a a indie race or a NASCAR race on TV. It's not just you go see that stuff in person, man. That's another story. That's the way that football is. You can't believe those guys that big are moving that fast and hitting each other like that. I mean, I've been to pro football games. You can't believe. Like a car wreck. Well, that, but it's, you know, somebody was talking about on a web page the other day that the human body, I mean, even what we did, and it's not, not taking away from it because what we did wasn't easy. Um, it was not easy. But the human body was not was not made, to, you know, for, for combat sports like that, you know. Bo James said something to me one night. We were talking. And I never thought about it like this, but he but he made it made perfect sense to me. He said, "You take just something as simple as <clears throat> me running you, throwing you into a turnbuckle, and you know guys that worked hard. We didn't we didn't go half speed and slow down and stop and lean into that turnbuckle. We would hit it and move the ring. We'd hit it so hard, you know." I mean, it was just now. Yeah, here's thing he said that never, that never. I never thought about this. He said that short span, whether it's a 16 foot ring, 18 foot ring, 24 foot ring, for that short span, you run across there and hit that turnbuckle. You're probably going 30, 35 miles an hour. You know, you couldn't run that far 35 miles an hour, but for that short span, you're running maybe 30, 35 miles an hour. And when you hit that turnbuckle, your body comes to a stop. But everything inside of you don't. That's that's. Just... I'd never thought about it that way. But Jerry, that's... you remember Frank Dalton? Oh yeah. In the Mobile Territory, and I've told this story on here before. Frank always took. He would do, because he was a, he was a fairly small guy, both in height and and weight. But he would, when somebody would whip him into the the turnbuckle, he'd get about three and a half feet from the turnbuckle when he turned and he would leave his feet so he'd that. slam into that, that that corner. Well, he did that uh, during a TV match in, in Louisiana and went too high, jumped too high, and the back of his head hit the, the steel ring post. And after the TV matches, he went to back to his hotel room and promptly slipped into a coma. And it took him, oh, Kelly worked with him, said he worked with him for months, you know, because he never did, 
have total feeling on his his left side anymore. Well, I'm sure. But he I mean, still took those crazy bumps. But you just you never you know in the heat like Bobby was saying at the in the in the heat of the match and everything you just don't stop and think about stuff like that. You're you you're mainly trying to make it. sure your your match looks good and and that you you know the the people are buying it and you just don't think about that. I'm surprised anybody that wrestled for ten years straight can even walk. Yeah, that's just. I mean, it's, it's just. Doctor Andrews told me one time after about the fifth time he operated on my knees, he said, "You know, you know." He said, "I'm telling you what's what's your problem." He says, "What you guys do, your body is not made to do what y'all do." He told me that verbatim, huh. and it's not. No. Well, I hear you. Let me let me quote let me quote something Harley said one time. You on that very note with it's not made to do it. Harley said one time we were in Las Vegas and I don't remember who was talking or what the context was, but Harley said this. He said, Daddy, he said, Once you're under that spotlight, he said it never leaves and he said it's like a drug. He said, When you get in there, he said, Nothing else matters and that's the God's yeah. honest truth. And that's and, and that's the sad part about it. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, I'm sorry, right, guys. Well, and Harley too. I just yeah. I yeah. hate it. Yeah, me too. But anyway, we'll all be here. We'll all be back next week. Hopefully, we'll Jay be will be back with us. Everybody, keep uh, keep Jay in your thoughts and prayers. And yeah. Our, our friend Scrappy as well, and uh, glad to hear he's doing better. And uh, we will get together again next week, guys, and see what we can kind of trouble we can get in then. Sounds I'm good. Sure Have a great week, guys. All you right. Too. Take care, everybody. Good night. Good night. Bye bye. We thank you for listening to this broadcast. Production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.